church? It's hard to come behind something like that. Um, you know, when you're in worship and song and uh, through the reading of his word, sometimes that preaches itself. Um, so I, I think those who are in the praise group and in the band that of y'all's work and your dedication, how it complements the sermon every week uh, and the effort that you put forth in that. So, <clears throat> man, um, you know, talking about holiness this morning, as we've already been singing, you really don't, as a person, feel worthy. Uh, you don't feel worthy to, to sing about a holy God, let alone speak of Him. Um, but in His Word, He reveals Himself to us, and that is His very character in nature. That is who He is uh, to us. Um, so I, I do want to point out one thing quickly about your notes. Um, if you see uh, the first section of your notes, that will actually become the third point, and everything else will kind of move up. So if you have those before you, uh, just so you know. So last week we began, uh, you know, to look at First Peter. Uh, we jumped into uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Um, we focused on rejoicing over God's mercy, rejoicing because of our internal inheritance, rejoicing through suffering, and also rejoicing over God's mysterious plan of rege- redemption. We see that God, as Peter began to lay out, he was calling the church to rejoice. Despite whatever circumstances they may be in, that we were re- to rejoice in the king. And that is what we have set forth here this morning already. We have begun to rejoice in Jesus. Um, so rejoicing through recognizing all that God has done and who he is. That's what we've been singing about this morning. That's what his word says to us. Sets the precedence for the rest of our Christian journey in this life. So when we rejoice about who God is and what he's done, it sets the precedence for the rest of our journey in this Christian life. It is that contentment that shows that the Lord is sovereign over all things. This contentment in the Lord is our foundation to living out our life. So when we understand who Christ is, who God is, and the accomplished work of the cross, it sets forth the foundation of the rest of everything else we have. We are content and joyful in that. We rejoice in that. So it leads us to other areas of our life. So what we see as we start with this section of Peter today, as we finish out chapter 1, verses 13 through 25, is we see that word, therefore. It tells us something. It always clues us in back to what Peter had already stated. It's leading us into, okay, well, what does this mean as for me, a believer? If I'm to rejoice in these things, how does that overflow into my life? And this area today we're focusing on, of course, is holiness in our life. If you don't mind, please stand as we read God's Word, and we honor that. I'm not going to read all of it today, but I do want you to hear the primary section. It says in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, 
you shall be holy for I am holy and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you and through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God you may be seated did you know that five times in the book of Leviticus five times God reminds people through Moses that they are to be holy because he is holy so there, there is a call throughout scripture as people of the Lord for us to be holy before the Lord but you see holiness reminds us of who God is it is his very character it is his very nature God is not a God just of love a God of righteousness or justice those things actually flow out of his holiness it is his holiness primarily who he is and then everything else comes out of that it is the reason we are able to love people accordingly to the way that God loves people it's the way that we perceive justice in our world is based off not what the world says justice is but what God says justice is and what God says righteousness is because righteousness derives out of God's holiness that is the standard that is set forth for us in Scripture and that we should live our life by is because of God's holiness. So in five times, Moses brings this up to the people and he tells them to be holy. And God's holiness is often spoken and demonstrated throughout the Old Testament. We hear it and we see it. We reflect back to Isaiah chapter 6. We begin with this vision of Isaiah having a vision of the Lord in his holy temple. And the seraphim, seraphim flying around. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because they recognize that that is the very essential character of who God is. Is that God himself is by nature holy. What's interesting though is as Isaiah encounters God. As he has his vision of the Lord and he recognizes God's holiness. Guess what Isaiah recognizes about himself? His own sinfulness. When we, when we recognize who God is and His holiness and His perfectedness, the fact that He is perfect in all ways, that He has no sin, no evil about Him, we're able to look at ourselves internally and realize we are in desperate need of something. We are in desperate need of something because we are not holy. And much like to Isaiah, God goes down and He heals Isaiah, he restores Isaiah, and then he sends Isaiah. So, as we look, we see man's sinfulness and God's character contrasted throughout Scripture. Romans 8, 8 says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I wanted to step back in light of God's holiness and Peter's reiteration of Leviticus. We see this constantly through the New Testament of pulling back out the Old Testament and showing the fulfillment of what Christ has accomplished. 
and make sure we understand that holiness is our hope and what Christ has accomplished. That ultimately is what holiness is. Holiness is our hope and what Christ has accomplished. Verses 13 through 21 really speak of this. You see, holiness is twofold. It is what Christ has accomplished by making us holy before God and what he is producing in us. Remember how Peter told them in the opening sentence that they were to be sanctified by the Spirit. That keeps coming up in different ways. Meaning he has set us apart. Set us apart for what? To be holy. So through this we see that God is working through his Spirit to sanctify us. And a life of holiness or holy conduct is only possible through what Christ has accomplished. So if there was no Christ and no perfect work of Christ, no human being would be able to live up to the standard of holiness that God has set forth. It is impossible. But only in Christ are we able to live a holy life, one of holy conduct, one of living that we strive in sanctification, as we talked about last week, progressive, working towards becoming more like Him. But it is only in Christ that that is possible. Verse 18 and 19 says, We were ransomed, meaning that we were purchased. We were bought at a price. It was a costly price. It was a bloody price. And it says we were ransomed by what? The precious blood of Christ. Nothing else. No one else. Not a religious system. Not another prophet. Not any set of values or ethics. Nothing can save you except the blood of Christ which purchases you. It purchased you from death into life. It is through His holy act that that gives us. See, Christ purchased us while we were yet sinners. And Peter says here, in our futile ways, meaning that, you know, in, in our way of thinking, in our way of life, that we're just kind of going about and it's futile. That we think we have it all figured out. And, and all we care about in this life oftentimes is getting to the next day. Professional progress. Whatever it may be. It's futile. It has no purpose without Christ. But is that while we were yet sinners and we were futile in our way that Christ stepped down out of his eternal glory into this world and he died and paid a costly price for our, our treason. See, it says... Not only did he do that, but he was a lamb without blemish or spot. It, it takes us back to the Old Testament, this idea of, of bringing forth a sacrifice without blemish or spot. It was a, to be a, a picture, a shadow of what was to come in Christ. That he is perfect in all ways. And you have to understand that today, Christian, that Jesus did not only die for your sins, but he lived a perfect life. If he didn't live a perfect life, then his sacrifice was in vain. Because his perfect life, his sacrifice, ultimately, his blood shed is what covers our sins, and it makes us holy. Christ's holiness is what made you holy before a living God. When you put your faith in him, that's what happens. It drapes you in the blood of Christ. So when God sees you, he sees his son and what his son has accomplished. 
Don't fool yourself into thinking that Peter is calling you to participate in making you holy by the way you live. That is not what Peter is doing here. That's not what Moses was doing. It's not asking you or calling you to live a life of holiness that somehow that you can also partner with Jesus in your salvation. Jesus has accomplished that. He is your holiness. You have to first and foremost understand that. If you are going to live a life of holiness, you have to understand who the Holy One is and that He and His holiness died for you. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 1, 9. This is great. He has saved us, who? Christ. And called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So what has he done? He saved us and he called us to a holy life, but not because of what we've done. You understand? It's impossible for you to do it. You are incapable. And then it goes forward. Why did he do it? Because of his own purpose and his grace. And it goes on to say, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So even before the world began, this grace was laid before you. Even before you were ever thought of by your parents, your grandparents, your lineage of, of how you came to be, God before time had already laid out a plan for your life through his Son by saving you and calling you to a holy life. It says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through the shedding of His blood, by the covering of our sins, He has brought holiness. And out of that, He calls you to a holy life. That's what He saved you for become more like him verse 9 of Timothy he has saved us how through his holy life and called us to a holy life so our holiness is not something that we produce on our own but is only through the holiness of Christ if Christ has made us holy then why do I need to be holy it's a good question right if Christ has made us holy why is Peter sitting here writing to the church to be holy See, Christ is our holiness regarding our justification, meaning our standing before God. Hebrews 10.10 10 states, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So, by God, Jesus has made you holy before Him. Justification, one time. Meaning that every time you come to church, we're not one of those churches, you have to get saved every week. You've been justified once by the blood of Christ. That's it. So let that take that burden from you today. The question here then, then should we go on sinning since we are justified by Christ's holiness? No, that's why Peter is laying this out. The Romans had this problem, right? If you remember. Paul says, Lord, for, no, don't. Don't continue to sin. Don't continue to you know, take God's grace for granted. 
We are not seeing in this passage a call to holiness regarding our standing before God, but a call to holy conduct because of what God has already done for us. There's a difference. So you're not striving every day to live in accordance to holiness and God's laws and his decrees so that you one day look holy before God. That is impossible. But it is that fact that Jesus has already done that on your behalf. So in turn, yes, we live in holy conduct towards others and towards God. See, point two, holiness is produced in us as we live in obedience to the word of God. So we understand that Jesus is our holiness, but holiness, holy conduct is produced in us as we live in obedience to the word of God. That is the sanctifying aspect. That is what we strive for every day. That's why we wake up in the morning to set forth ourselves. We talked last series about yielding ourselves to, to the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we may be living holy before the Lord. It becomes a way of life, a, a way of thought every morning. As we look at Christ, we strive to become more like Him and less like our old selves. Look at what verse 13 says again. It says, preparing your mind for action. So after segueing out of rejoicing, He's saying, prepare your mind for action. You know, this holiness is a war. It ultimately is, is internalizing in your mind each day and preparing your mind for action, understanding that to live a holy life and conduct, we have to reflect back on what Christ has done and on what he has called us to be. See, in light, it says, of setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it says, prepare your mind because of that. Again, pointing us to our holy conduct being found in the completed work of Christ. Listen to verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Truth about what? Simple. That Christ purified us. That's what that verse says. That Christ purified us. P Peter continues to reiterate this. Like in different ways. He uses different words. But it's like he's just nailing the, the point home trying to get these churches that he's writing to to understand that in the person of Christ is where we find our, our holiness and out of the overflow of that becomes holy conduct for our life. What is holy conduct then? Peter begins to lay that out throughout the rest of this letter. So in the coming weeks we'll see that. But he starts with love. Now y'all are probably tired of hearing me talk about love. But it is all throughout scriptures. I can't get away from it. He begins to talk about love being one of those things. Verse 22 says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So right after holiness, and he's talking about holy conduct, he goes to this very tangible idea of love. And he doesn't say just love one another like by saying hate each other. He says love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's very strong language. Earnestly. Other passages talk about bearing one another's burdens. It takes a lot to love one another earnestly. With a pure heart. 
Meaning that it's true. It's something genuine. That you're, you're, you're not trying to fabricate a sense of love. But holiness calls us to this. It, it should push us towards loving one another. Because if anybody didn't deserve love, it was me or you. And Christ loved us anyways. So in the same way, by what right do we not have to love one another? And then he brings up being born again. If you're born again, it says in love. So get that? It's a correlation. If you're born again, you'll love. You'll love one another. You can't run away from that. You can't hate people in, in your own church, in your congregation, in those churches around you, and people in your life, other believers who are part of the church. You cannot hate, despise, be malicious. You can't do those things. Because ultimately the tie back in is to be born again. It's to love. And what is it pointing us towards? Holy conduct. Live as Christ lived. Think about his life when we're talking about this. How Christ lived a holy, perfect life. What did he do? He loved other people. Despite themselves. See, that is obedient holy conduct. Verse 15 says that. If you go back to it. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. See, the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord, right? His scriptures, his word, what Christ has given us through the gospels, it teaches us about what Christ has accomplished, but also how we are to live. Pretty simple. We make it a lot more difficult than what it is. It is not, you know, some acronym for how we should live. It is, here's Christ in the Old Testament, all these types and shadows we see of him, and then in the New Testament comes to fulfilling him. And then, what out of that? Our conduct should be in accordance to that. Our living should. See, the word of the Lord teaches us about what Christ has accomplished, but how we are to live as well. It says in verse 23, it is living and abiding. His word is. And it remains forever. And at the very end, verse 25 says, it's talking about the gospel. It never changes. It never goes away. It is living, abiding, and it remains forever. This is why meditating on the word is beneficial to holiness. It, it helps us to see what, who Christ is and to imitate him, as we've been talking about. So I, I gave a challenge a few weeks ago about meditating on the Word. Anybody took up that challenge? I'd encourage you to. Take it upon yourselves to find a book to study. Not just the devotional. Pick out a book and study it. Internalize it. Meditate upon it. Seek the Lord in prayer over it. Because what's going to lead you to holiness is looking at the person of Jesus. And where can it be found? In the Word. You're not going to find Jesus in some pseudo-philosophy, some psychology, 
what other people are telling you or to think about them. You're only going to find it in the Word, in the living, true, abiding Word of God. If you're not opening this up, if you're not thinking about it, if you're not meditating upon it and praying on it, then it is impossible for you to know the Christ that it talks about. It is impossible for you to know what holy conduct is because you don't really know what it's calling you to. So I challenge you again to study the Scriptures, to learn about Him. One thing we were talking about in this growth group the other night was just how the Scriptures validate themselves. It gives us such understanding and depth of who Jesus is. Not because I'm just reading here, but we can go to other verses and it validates itself. That's why it's important, because it helps us understand. If we go over to Leviticus and we read to be holy, our idea is going to be just on conduct and our conduct saves us. But that's not even what Moses was writing about. I want you to see this, what happens when, when it's not the case. I didn't have this in today, but just starting in chapter 2, I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, here's the application of it. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. So these things that are happening in the church. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, and by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you had tasted that the Lord is good. May that be the case in our holy conduct, that we taste that the Lord is good, and that motivates us towards a holy living. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin, do you understand that, believer? You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. So that's the benefit. It leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. So let me ask you a question. What should motivate us towards a, living a life of holiness? When you think about that, I would love to poll you guys before you came in and have a chance. But if I were to ask you, what, what, what motivates us or what maybe have we been taught that motivates us towards holy living? Some things I listed here was fear is often one. We're taught by people throughout our life or maybe pastors that, that fear should motivate us towards a holy living. That we should be scared of hell and we should be scared of the wrath of God and all of these things. But when we trust in Jesus, that is not what we should fear. Because those things have been set aside from us. We don't face, face the wrath of God because He has faced it on our behalf. Should we deeply respect and be in awe of the Lord? Yes, of course. But we, should we be in fear of the Lord like He's a scornful father who's going to come home and beat us every day? No. But we've been taught often that. That God is one that we should be very sincerely afraid and scared of. And so in that we try to keep living according to his will and his purpose and holiness. And never being able to do it. That's why Christ came. So that we don't have to fear. So don't let that be a motivator. 
Last week we talked about eternal reward. We sung about crowns this morning. Mike pointed out the other night in growth group that you know the, the reward there isn't us getting a crown, it's laying it at the feet of Jesus. So again, the eternal reward is not about us, it is about Christ. It could be earthly blessings. We see that now in our life. If, if we live according to God, if we do what He expects us to do, then He will bless us in this life. We'll have a big bank account. He'll take care of us. We'll have no needs. He'll give us health. All those things are good, but that is not the promise of what comes out of holiness. And then most of all, salvation. Again, we do not synergistically, meaning that we do not work with God. It is not saying that, yes, Jesus justified us once, but we have to continue to maintain that salvation. Once and for all, what Christ has done, it's been done. Once and for all, he has justified us. It's a legal term, meaning it's done, it's accomplished. So don't let those things be your motivator towards holiness. The scripture points us towards another motivation. You see, holiness drives out of reciprocal love of God or for God. Say that one more time. Holiness derives out of a reciprocal love for God. Verses 8 and 9. I'm going to read those to you again. Listen to this. This is us, right? Though you have not seen him, you love him. I hope that's us. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. See, we're, we're not like the apostles. We're not like those who of the 500 saw Christ after his resurrection. Those who were, you know, whether it's the 72 disciples or anybody else that followed Christ during his earthly ministry, we do not get to visualize Christ. We did not get to see his works in our life. We believe him to be true because, again, the word validates itself and we know the effect that the gospel has on our life. See, they did. They saw those things. But they're writing to believers in the New Testament church who didn't see Jesus either. But because what Christ has done for them, they loved him. See, that's a big distinguishment from fear and all these other things. Of what motivates us towards holy conduct, holy living, is not because that we think we have to do these things in order to please God, but because He has been pleased by His Son and what His Son has done, that we, in turn, love Him. Because God first loved us, we love Him, and it reveals itself by how we live. Get that? So, God loves us. God loved you and me so much that He sent His Son, Christ, to die on the cross. Perfect death, resurrected. So in turn, what? We reciprocate that love. We turn that love back towards him. He has set his affection on us. And in turn, we say, God, we know all that you have done for us. We know who we were. 
much like Isaiah, right? We recognize our sin when we look at a perfect, holy Jesus and what he has done. And we say, God, we love you for it. So much so that Isaiah says, Lord, send me, please. That was his act out of love. It's a a desire to live in a, a holy conduct, a holy life, to imitate Christ. I hope that's your motivation. And thank you, Lord. And this was true of the Old Testament, too. I think if you look at Leviticus, we could read that the wrong way, but what God was always trying to get across to the Israelites was that you'll never live up to my law. But it was by faith they, too, were saved. Now, Jesus had not come yet, but it was an understanding just like um, Romans 4 says that Abraham foresaw what was to come. He believed. He had faith. So in the same way, God loved them and they had faith in God because they knew what his promise was to come true. Listen to 1 John 4, 18 and 19 and then I'm going to jump over to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And it says, And so we now, or sorry, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. You see that? Have confidence. You don't have to fear. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Listen to 19. This is huge. We love because he first loved us. So we love him and we love other people because he first loved us. That is what motivates us towards holy conduct and holy living. That is what makes us not desire to be malicious and to slander our brothers and sisters. It's because he first loved us, so in that we also love him and love others. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. They're intertwined. It's impossible. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's holy conduct. And the idea there is that because of our holy conduct, it is proof of the fact that we love Jesus and our eternity is wrapped into that because we have faith in Christ and what he's done. So it is by love originating from God himself that produces a love for him in us. One in which we desire to live a life in accordance with his will through our obedience. 
So why do we desire obedience and holy conduct, holy living? It is because God first loved us, and in turn we should love him. So that in 1 John 5, 3 through 5, this is a great verse. I hope you write it down. Or it's already down for you, I'm sorry. But By the way, 1 John's a great book to go to. You want to meditate on the word of the Lord. But it says in verse 3, In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. See that? So God loves us so much. And we love God. What do we do? We keep his commands. That is what love for God is. And his commands are not burdensome to you. Let me ask you, do you think that when you're living life, the Christian journey... Is God's law, is his, what he's called you, the way he's called you to live, is it, is it a burden to you? you waking up thinking, oh, I've got to do this again today. I've got to, I've got to treat my, that person I really don't care much for with love. You know? Do I have to you know, try to get along with that coworker or that obnoxious church member? <laughs> you know? Is it burdensome to you, or do you desire to just do it? It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world, John asked? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So it is that person that goes back to verse 3 that loves God and keeps his commands and don't find him a burden. So, I'm going to wrap up with this. It's just to help finalize everything we've been talking about. What motivates us to love God? His love for us. What does that love motivate us to do? John nails it here. To keep his commands without burden. So as you're living the Christian life, you should not feel it's burdensome to be holy or to live a holy life and holy conduct. We are all guilty of looking at his commands and thinking how burdensome they can be. We are. But John argues here that our love for God should be such that we take joy in keeping his commands. So I hope that when you're thinking about imitating Christ and what that means and looking back through the Gospels and looking at his life, when Jesus says, you know, you're to love your brother and love your enemy, it's tough. That can be a burden. But that we look at it with joy because Christ was capable of doing it and that in him we strive to do the same because he loved us so much. Father, just thank you for today. The opportunities to come before you. You are a holy God. And God, in that, it requires much. Lord, for the first Adam, he rebelled against you in sin. And since that point in time, we have all rebelled against you in sin. It is by our nature we do that. But Lord, in your grace and your mercy, you have poured out the blood of your Son 
to cover, cover us by His holiness, by His holy living. Lord, may that holy life that was sacrificed for us drive us towards holy conduct, a life of holiness. One that says, Lord, I love you so much. I don't want to sin anymore. I want to be an imitator of Christ. I want to carry my cross with me daily. Lord, I want to rid myself of all my sinful nature. Lord, may we leave here and and desire out of love for you to live holy. May this not be a fleeting message that leaves the minds of this church as they walk out the doors, but may it stick with them. And God, may we love you because you loved us so much, so much greater than we could ever return. Father, lead us as we continue to worship you. In your name I pray.